funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, running for governor, former New Jersey Senate President Steve Sweeney throwing his hat in the ring for the 2025 gubernatorial election. The more the merrier. If you're, if you're Steve Sweeney, the more the merrier, uh, because that creates more lanes. Uh, and, you know, he's certainly going to try to dominate that moderate lane. Plus, lowering the voting age to 17, but only for primary elections if you turn 18 by November. Also, arrive together. The state attorney general expands the program pairing police officers with mental health specialists to Patterson. There are some people in the community who still have concerns as to whether or not they're going to know how to deal with these issues without it, you know, coming to shooting. And the application deadline is fast approaching for the latest round of property tax relief. You don't want to miss out. Yeah, tis the season for the last call for anchor benefits. So the, there's up to uh, $1,750 in benefits for a senior citizen homeowner who meets the income qualifications uh, sitting on the table here. Uh, $700 uh, for renters if you're a senior with uh, the right income. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us on this Monday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. Former State Senate President Steve Sweeney is officially running for governor in 2025. The longtime Democratic lawmaker is looking to make his political comeback after a stunning loss in 2021, when his two-decade-long run in the legislature was upended by Republican newcomer Ed the Trucker Durr. Sweeney's campaign launch was widely expected, especially after his former running mates reclaimed their seats in November's general election. And he has a long list of accomplishments to run on from his time in Trenton. But as senior political correspondent David Cruz reports, Sweeney isn't the only Democrat in the race, and he's been in a similar position before. I was a union iron worker for years. Steve Sweeney's launch video was a gauzy reboot for the once powerful state Senate president. His story, told through his relationship with his daughter, positioned the burly iron worker as a champion for the most vulnerable. I've gotten a lot done for working people in New Jersey. Fair minimum wage that's indexed, so when costs go up, pay goes up. Family leaves so parents can be there for their kids when it's most important and sons and daughters can care for their elderly parents. We made marriage equality the law, because love is love. If it looks like a sequel to the 2016 race where Sweeney and Jersey City Mayor Steve Fulop were poised for a battle of the Steves, you're kinda right. Except that there doesn't seem to be a Goldman Sachs millionaire ready to step in and bigfoot everyone, as Phil Murphy did back then. You never know, it could happen in New Jersey. Fulop, until today the only announced candidate in the race, said he welcomed Sweeney, adding that he and the former senator have a good relationship. But he said their paths to the governor's race have been very different. I think being an inside Trenton person is not necessarily an asset. I think 
You know, I'm coming from a different perspective on the ground, making decisions as an executive and and knowing how Trenton interacts with cities or municipalities in a way that's not productive. I think being inside Trenton, you have a totally different perspective. You're in a little bit of a bubble. Sweeney is a moderate who initially voted against marriage equality. The teachers union once famously spent millions opposing him and progressives have never been a fan of his reforms on spending and the millionaire's tax. And then there was the whole losing to an unknown trucker thing back in 2021. The results of Tuesday's elections are in. All votes have been fairly counted. And I, of course, accept the results. But this is 2023 with a whole new cast of characters, including most likely Newark Mayor Ras Baraka and maybe even Representatives Josh Gottheimer, Mikey Sherrill, and who knows who else. So with a wide open field, Sweeney's presumed South Jersey base is a big asset in hand. In a crowded field, as this one is certainly shaping up to be, there are going to be lots of different lanes. And you don't have to win with 50% of the vote. You might win with 30% of the vote. And in that case, the math is the same as the math that kept him in the Senate president's chair longer than anybody else, which is solid South versus a divided North. And if that's the way that it plays out for him, then he does have a chance in this race. It's worth noting that the election is still almost two years away. A lot can happen in that span. And then there's also the history of Jersey voters' propensity for mixing it up. Republicans are counting on the old slogan, no man, or in this case, no party, is good three times. Senator John Bramnick is expected to announce his candidacy for governor early next year. So no matter how great your Democrat is, and they've got some decent candidates, I'm not going to argue with that. You want balance. You want two sides down here. And when you have two sides, you get really good balanced legislation. So good guy, wrong person for the job. The players are beginning to assemble. It's all Steve's at the moment, but Democrats should expect the field to expand very soon. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. Both Steve Sweeney and Steve Fulop are power players in their respective parts of the state who will likely be well-funded as New Jersey grows increasingly more Democratic. But the race is still two years away. That's an eternity in political timekeeping, which means plenty of curveballs could be ahead. I asked Monmouth University pollster Patrick Murray and Rutgers Eagleton Institute of Politics poll director Ashley Koning how the gubernatorial race is shaping up. Patrick Murray and Ashley Koenig, thanks so much for joining me. So, Patrick, let me start with you. What does this say about the state of New Jersey politics when we have two of the same candidates running as uh, was presumed to be six years ago? Well, it's because they didn't get a chance six years ago. Uh, basically, for whatever reason, Steve Fulop pulled out. Phil Murphy uh, swooped in, got more than enough of the North Jersey and Central Jersey uh, backing uh, from the party leaders that uh, basically squeezed Steve Sweeney out. He saw the writing on the wall and didn't run. So basically, we have two candidates, the two Steves there, uh, who definitely wanted to run uh, the last time around, that it was an open seat, and, and now have taken that shot. I think it says a lot, and we're seeing this, uh, certainly there's a lot of debate going on about the uh, Senate seat uh, and uh, who's running for that, uh, about our system here in primaries, where it's easy for somebody, particularly somebody with a lot of money, to come in and try to clear the field. Maybe we 
We don't know. It's very early days yet. We're still talking about the 2025 election. But uh, hopefully we'll see an actual competitive primary for governor. That would be a nice thing. Yeah, that is what's expected to be the case, Ashley. And I'm wondering how Steve Sweeney's South Jersey footprint plays into this and maybe the political help that he'll get. Yeah, we're really revisiting this geographic divide that we would have had with Steve North versus Steve South if we saw this uh, so many years ago and the first time they were possibly going to run. You know, this is probably going to be more divisive, as Patrick had mentioned, than uh, pork roll versus Taylor Ham and asking New Jerseyans. We also have to keep in mind that even though we know who these political players are, most New Jerseyans really don't. The last time we pulled Sweeney back in 2019, about two-thirds of New Jerseyans didn't have an opinion of him or didn't know who he was. Now, certainly he's gone through a, a national, uh, you know, nationally known loss against Ed Durr, and he certainly will have some support to rebuild in South Jersey, but this is going to be really geographically divisive and especially come down to probably seeing a lot of division among the different counties and county chairs. Which is something I presume, Ashley, uh, Steve Sweeney would want to see, right? I mean, more lanes opened up for him to really uh, find a path for himself. He's already got, it looks like anyway, an endorsement from the uh, Carpenters Union. Of course, uh, we saw that one coming. And the State Building and Construction Trades Council, not officially, but they're behind him. So how will this shape up in terms of getting the, you know, coveted county line support? Yeah, the union story has always been a part of his background, and he's definitely already said that within his announcement. And, you know, almost kind of hinted in his announcement that he knows that he has work to do to come back from that devastating for him loss a few years ago. And so it'll really be interesting to see how George Norcross may come into play. Uh, he had said that if Sweeney decided to run for governor, he might come back into the political arena within South Jersey. And how this shakes out, especially if we know of any other North Jersey or Central Jersey candidates who may still enter this race on the Democratic side, it looks more and more crowded and we're, we're not even to 2024 yet. Patrick, who do we expect to still jump in? And do you agree with Ashley's assessment about the, the county line? Yeah, I mean, the county lines are key, and this is why I think Steve Sweeney's um, gambit here is based on what he was going to do a few years ago, which was basically get the entire South Jersey organizations behind him. He can count on about a third of the vote coming out of South Jersey, not as strong as they used to be because now the sh there's a shift to Middlesex's terms in terms of a power center. But if you have other candidates coming into this race from the northern part of the state, uh, we're talking about people like Josh Gottheimer and Mikey Sherrill, two of our members of a congressional delegation who people are talking about. People are also talking about the Speaker of uh, the uh, Assembly, uh, Craig Coffey who comes from Middlesex County. I'm not so sure how serious he is or if that's kind of a stalking horse in order for to allow Middlesex County to keep their powder dry while this is all shaking out. But if you have all those candidates running, it's likely that the county uh, endorsements are going to be spread among those different uh, candidates. And so that's what will lead to a competitive primary. Mm, nonetheless, the South Jersey Democratic machine is resurging. Uh, Patrick Murray, Ashley Koning, lots of conversations ahead. Thank you so much. My Thank pleasure. you so much.
Some state lawmakers believe one way to boost voter turnout during elections is by lowering the voting age. A proposal moving through Trenton would allow some 17-year-olds to cast a ballot in primary elections if they turn 18 by the general election. As senior correspondent Joanna Gagas reports, New Jersey could join a number of other states that have already enacted a similar law, but it wouldn't be until after our next big election. We're allowing them to really participate in the democracy, right? They're not just voting for people that were selected for them in the primaries. They get to actually choose for themselves. That would be the result if a bill sponsored by Senators Andrews Wicker and James Beach clears the Senate, allowing for young voters who will turn 18 by the general election to vote in the primary election while they're still 17. We don't get a lot of turnout in primary votes as it is. Um, New Jersey has so many non-contested districts that oftentimes the winner of the primary goes on to win the general. And so by not being involved in the primary, you're kind of being left out of a very important step. Both McCaudy Vargas and Nancy Hedinger testified in a hearing of the state government wagering tourism and historic preservation committee last week, where they reminded senators that 19 other states and DC have passed similar laws, insisting that allowing younger people to vote early actually has a lasting impact on democracy. We see that in that age group, 18 to 24, that's very low voter turnout. And it's because it, it's, a, it's a transitional time in their lives. Whereas if you introduce it while they're still in school, it becomes a part of their curriculum, a part of their civics education. And so much research shows that once you start voting, uh, you vote once, you're 10 times more likely to vote in the next few elections. This bill is actually nothing new. It was introduced eight years ago when Senator Andrews Wicker was serving in New Jersey's assembly. I wrote the bill in 2016 made it through both houses and it was vetoed by then governor chris christie in his message he called it potentially unconstitutional that's not true uh we had checked to make sure of course it's constitutional when he moved to the senate senator beach allowed zwicker to take the lead on the bill that just cleared committee unanimously it did pass through the assembly this may along party lines so why the resistance from some republicans to expanding the voting age there had been some concern back then that younger people tended to vote democratic uh, we've seen some shift in young people right now, but there's no partisanship to this. It is purely an age thing. Research across the country does not show that 17-year-olds are more likely to vote for one party over another. Um, this is completely about getting you know, the young young voters involved. Governor Murphy says he'll sign the bill if it reaches his desk, but ask that it be amended to delay implementation until 2026. What has he communicated to you about the reason why he wants to delay the implementation until 2026? Making that, by the way, 10 years since you first wrote the bill. There's some concern that adding something to our, our voting process and our computer systems We've done early voting. We have done expanded vote by mail. They wanted to make sure that they get this right. It'll mean that 17-year-olds who missed the primary deadline will have to sit out on the 2024 presidential primary and 2025 gubernatorial primary. These are two very important elections happening back to back. It would be 
it's it's shameful that they aren't trying to enact this as quickly as possible. But despite that disappointment, advocates are hopeful this bill clears the full Senate during the lame duck session, although no vote has been scheduled yet. I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. You can add Patterson to the growing list of cities around the state now using the Arrive Together program, where certain 911 calls involving mental health issues are handled by police and mental health experts. The move announced today by the state attorney general comes nine months after the fatal police shooting of Patterson violence intervention worker Najee Seabrooks, a more recent state takeover of the troubled police department, and years of cries from residents for a new approach to these crises. Melissa Rose Cooper reports. The family wants to call the police, but then they're afraid. What happens if, let's say, the person, I don't know, reaches for a broom or anything? And then the officers say, well, you know, I felt threatened. So they just start firing off on the person. That's a very scary and real scenario. Concerns community activist Corey Teague says many residents here in Patterson share when it comes to how mental health crisis calls are handled in the city. Earlier this year, a family's call for help ended in the death of Najee Seabrooks following a standoff with police. Najee Seabrooks was out here trying to bridge the gap between the police and the community. So when they saw that the police took him out, it really sent shockwaves through the community. Fatigue is hopeful a new initiative in the city will begin to turn things around. State Attorney General Matt Placken announcing the expansion of the Arrive Together program that will handle mental health and emotional distress calls. We started in Cumberland County. We then expanded to municipal departments in Union County. And uh, it is going tremendously well. We've now seen approximately 2,000 people helped by this program. And again, remember, these are the incidents and the calls and the interactions that are most likely to result in a bad outcome, whether that be an injury or an arrest. And we've seen none of that. No injuries to officers, no injuries to civilians, uh, better mental health treatment for individuals who need it. And importantly, we're building trust with communities as we're doing this. The program is designed to cater to the needs of each specific community. In some places, ARRIVE is a co-responder model where law enforcement and mental health professionals are arriving at the scene together. In other cases, like in Patterson, it's a mental health-led solution. So when an individual uh, encounters law enforcement in Patterson, a referral can be made to CBH care now and the response will just be from the mental health professionals. There won't be a law enforcement component to it. Arrive Together comes months after the Attorney General's takeover of the Patterson Police Department. But Mayor Andre Sayas says the city is continuing to work on its own program, known as Connect and Protect, which received a federal grant. Sayas says the initiative was in the works long before the takeover. Because it was two years ago where I made this announcement that we recognize that police officers aren't always trained to deal with people who are emotionally disturbed. So that's why I looked at a best practice, which Bill Bratton had implemented in Los Angeles, invited him to Patterson and made that announcement to let people know that we're really serious about a co-response, that it just can't fall on the shoulders of police officers. You have to have the professionals in the room that are trained. So mental health clinicians, 
will be on the scene along with police officers in Patterson. The mayor says the program is still in the planning stages and is expected to launch sometime next summer. There's no word yet how this will work with Arrive Together, but the attorney general says he's open to a conversation. Meanwhile, Teague maintains it's a good first step. If the community sees that the police are trying, the police department is really doing what they need to do in this particular regard, and they have the mental health professionals and they're doing what they need to do, then we as a community have to kind of meet them halfway and let's see if we can do this together so that we can kind of turn the table, you know, turn the chapter. Arrive Together is expected to operate in all 21 counties of the states by the end of the year. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper. In our Spotlight on Business report, you've got a little over two weeks left to apply for the latest round of property tax relief from the state. The application deadline for the anchor program is December 29th, and already Treasury officials say more than 1.6 million residents received their benefits. The payouts are higher this year in part because the legislature voted to give a $250 boost for seniors. But you don't have to own a home to qualify. Our budget and finance writer John Wright Meyer has the latest on what you need to know to get your share. John Reitmeyer, good to see you as always. So um, you don't want to leave money on the table here, and that's essentially what you're doing if you haven't already applied for Anchor. Yeah, tis the season for the last call for Anchor benefits. So the, there's up to uh, $1,750 in benefits for a senior citizen homeowner who meets the income qualifications uh, sitting on the table here. Uh, 700 uh, for renters if you're a senior with uh, the right income. So there's a lot of money that you may qualify for that you could get as a property tax rebate. This is all for property taxes you paid in 2020 um, that you, if you haven't applied for yet, um, a lot of people have already applied and received benefits, but right. the last call is December 29th. So out of that big pot of, of folks I mentioned, about 1.6 million, how many of those are renters versus homeowners? Um, because in the first round, you and I talked about renters sort of being unaware that they were eligible for this. Yeah, for about a decade, the state had stopped providing these types of benefits as property tax relief. And of course, renters do indirectly pay property taxes through the rents that they pay their landlords. And so right now, based on the latest numbers from the Department of Treasury, there's nearly 500,000 renters who have already received anchor benefits in this latest round. There are over a million homeowners who've, who've already applied and received benefits. So they're up over 1.6 million in, in all. Uh, a big share of that is the homeowners, and they're trying to also make it known to renters that if, if you rented in 2020 and you meet the income and age qualifications, you could uh, get a benefit from Anchor as well. And this is either a check or a direct deposit in your account. It's not like how it used to be where you would see uh, a, an item deducted from your property tax bill. That's right. It no longer works that way, which effectively did lower your property taxes. In this case, you now either get a paper check or you get a direct deposit right into your bank account, which maybe some people prefer to, to have it that way. Um, and then it's, it's intended to offset what your property tax bill. And again, this is all based on 2020, so right. it's, it's not what you're making this year or even what you made last year. It's based off of where you lived and how much you made in 2020. It's a good point. Um, okay, so if you haven't already applied uh, or had it auto-renewed, which was the case for a lot of folks this year, how do you go about it and what if you need help 
with your application? A lot of different ways. So the easiest is probably to go online. It would probably help to also get some of your 2020 uh, tax materials together. You can also call a hotline. That number gets very busy. Um, you can print out a, a paper application. And there are also Division of Taxation field offices throughout the state where you can go in person. And you can even make an appointment online to, to meet with somebody specifically to go over an anchor application. And there is still plenty of time. So if you have put it off until now and you think you do qualify, it's, it's a lot of money to, to you know, take the initiative to try and get before the end of the year here. Yeah, and especially at the holiday time when a little extra cash is always welcome. Uh, John Reitmeyer, Forrest, get your anchor check. Uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you. You're welcome. Turning to Wall Street, stocks were mixed today, heading into a week packed with a crucial inflation update and the Federal Reserve's last meeting of the year. Here's how markets reacted. And finally tonight, the mystery of those tar balls discovered along the Jersey Shore in Monmouth County is finally solved. The U.S. Coast Guard confirms the pollution is linked to a November 22nd spill that happened during a transfer at a Bayonne oil facility. According to investigators, tar balls were found a week later on beaches from Asbury Park to Seabright. More pollution was identified on the shoreline in Gravesend Bay, Brooklyn. And tar balls washed ashore at Fort Wadsworth Beach in Staten Island. Tests run by the Coast Guard linked samples from New Jersey and Brooklyn, but results from Staten Island are still pending. More than 1,000 pounds of tar balls were removed from the Jersey Shore beaches. They're small, sticky balls of oil that had to be sifted through all the sand. Cleanup was still underway in Long Branch this weekend. Federal officials say Vane Brothers Company, which is represented by Gallagher Marine Systems, is responsible for the pollution and is taking responsibility for any environmental damage. Damage. That's going to do it for us tonight, but don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi for everyone at NJ Spotlight News. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years and by the PSCG Foundation. NJM Insurance Group has been serving New Jersey businesses for over a century. As part of the Garden State, we help companies keep their vehicles on the road, employees on the job, and projects on track. Working to protect employees from illness and injury, to keep goods and services moving across the state. We're proud to be part of New Jersey. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered. If you need to see a doctor, RWJ Barnabas Health has two easy ways to do it from anywhere. You can see an urgent care provider 24-7 on any device with our Telemed app. Or use our website to book a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health medical group provider or specialist, even as a new patient. You've taken every precaution, and so have we. So don't delay your care any longer. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.